One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My very special guest today is British singer, songwriter, actor and frontman of 80s three-piece band Imagination who had hits in 28 countries earning four platinum discs, nine gold discs and more than a dozen silver discs around the world between 1981 and 1983. In a career spanning three decades, he and Imagination have had record sales in excess of 30 million. I'm talking, of course, about Lee John, who we'll hear from after his first choice, which is from Courtney Pine with Children of the Ghetto. Lee John, welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love. Thank you for having me. How do we find you? How <laughs> do we find me? Uh, I'm cool. I'm, I'm great. I've been very proactive and very busy, to be quite honest with you. Uh, even since the lockdown, it's just been, I think for many artists, a, a, a creative platform for us to, you know, utilize the tools that we were, you know, God has given us. Yeah. And um, I've just been, I, I, before the lockdown, I was involved in some projects and you know, now it was the time to do it. A lot of people painted their houses and stuff. I didn't get time to do any of that. <laughs> I tell you, I've done an album. I've been working on my film projects. I've got singles out in different features. And so it's been very, very, very productive. Tell us about your first choice from Courtney Pine. Well, Courtney Pine is an amazing musician. And what I decided to do, because I get to do interviews all the time and people always ask me, my top 10, my top 5, my top 3, my number 1 record. And this time I wanted to, because I'm involved with a film called Flashback, this of UK Black Music, yeah. I wanted to do something with a twist. So every one of the musicians that you're going to hear today, I love them all. And they're all British-bred. And Courtney Pine, you know, I've known many, many years, and uh, he's, he's a man- fantastic musician and artist in his own right. I remember him from the Jazz Warriors that were a really collective of of musicians in in the uk and uh, still going strong as i as i hear it and um this particular track originally written and recorded as well by the real thing this is a real thing yeah. track from their um is it eight by four four by eight album i can't remember the title properly but it was an it was a very underrated album at the time but it was like their kind of what's going on album and it was all based about you know their upbringing in liverpool and the singer on this track, Suze Green, was uh, she sang with um, Ray Charles, from what I remember, and she also sang with the Supremes in the, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And they did some great albums, High Energy and uh, Mary Sharon Suze, fantastic voice. Courtney does such a great arrangement of this track. So, and uh, it just needs to breathe and you just need to listen. There was a, a documentary on BBC4 a few weeks ago about the real thing that I know you took part in. And they spent quite a large chunk of the programme talking about this particular track. Yes, they did. Um, And it's ironic because many people have recorded this. Uh, Philip Bailey, um, I think Mary J. Blige. I know someone else has done it, besides Courtney. So uh, it's great to see that um, someone, you know, a group that's homegrown is finally getting, you know, their just dues. Because I think with British black musicians, we get very, very underrated consistently because we're overshadowed by the Americans and not to say that we're bitter but you know in America they appreciate their own and 
it's time that we start appreciating our own. Your family came from St Lucia originally. Was that your parents or grandparents or further back? That's my parents. My mum and dad came from uh, St Lucia, which is a beautiful island. I recently did a documentary, uh, which I produced, about St Lucia while I was over there last year performing at the Roots and Soul Festival. And it was quite enlightening because I kind of... I didn't go all the way back to my family roots, but I kind of discovered, rediscovered the island, you mm -hmm. know, the beauty of it, the earthiness of it, and, you know, what makes it St. Lucia, you know, the, the, the people, the passion, the, the, the food, the, the whole substance, the Piton Mountains that invite you, you know, the mud baths in Souffre. It was a great discovery, and my grandmother um, had siblings of about 12 of them, and so there was obviously no TV in those days. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of radio. I don't even think they had radio. So that they were actually 13. One of them died. And then uh, the 12, uh, her brothers and sisters, all went around the world, some to Cuba, some to, a lot of them went to America, some to England. So my family has spread out. And I discovered so much of where my family was. You know, it's, it's yeah, I was hoping to go this Christmas, but who knows? No. <laughs> Did you have music growing up at home? Yes, I had music growing up a lot. You know, my sister, Linda, she used to be into the Stones and the Beatles and reggae and blue beat. And my my my, fa my father was into, obviously, and my mum was, and, you know, the typical Nat King Cole, yeah. Jim Reed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had a balance because they were into Motown as well and Stax and Otis Redding and Carla Thomas and Otis Redding album, I remember. And, you know, musicals and... and, and uh, it was just a very wide berth of stuff, and I absorbed a lot of it and didn't know how much it was in me, because I was always dancing. I was always dancing and singing and, and making noise. I used to play violin and piano. So music, yeah, was definitely part of my life. Your second choice, Lee, is from what I would say, along with Sade's Diamond Life, one of the finest debut albums, so good, from a British female singer. Tell me about Misha Paris and Breathe Life Into Me. Misha, oh, she's a, a tremendous talent. Yeah. And I first met her, well, ironically, she came up to me at a Whitney Houston reception right. in, in London. And she said, oh, you don't know me. Um, and I said, yes, I do. She said, no, you couldn't know me. I'm just, you know, I said, yes, I do. And she says, oh, my name is Paris. I said, I know who you are. I've heard your record. And she says, oh, you must know everybody in this reception. So I'm going to hold on to you all night. Hmm. So, uh, and I did. She held on to me. And I showed it to everyone. And this one and that one. She met Whitney and da, 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 da. And then when I had my chat show Lee's Place, which was actually the same year, I requested that she come on the show and debut her album on there. And they, they, they let her come on. And uh, it, it, it sold in, in bucket loads, you know. And it's a fantastic album. It is still uh, to this time, day. Yeah. I mean, Breathe Life Into Me has a kind of an imagination sort of feel. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, yes, you know, I, I could do something like that. That sounds kind of in our kind of, you know, it has that kind of way where the hook is. But even the title track, So Good, which I'd heard originally by Al Jarreau, but Misha just tears it apart. It was a fantastic album. Now, that's interesting you should say that, because I remember seeing Al Jarreau do it, and I always thought he covered it. No, he had done it first. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, he'd done it first, you know, and then uh, then she had done it, because I'd heard it from him. It's interesting to hear you sing along... Uh, uh, 
to that because when I was reviewing all the tracks, one of the common links between them all, I thought, was that you, either on your own or with imagination, could have recorded any of these ten songs. Could have been, could have been. I didn't, I didn't even think of it that way. You know, it was just I love the music, yeah. and I just felt that I want to bring back something to the UK. Um, and I've always supported the American music, as we all do. But I thought, you know, from now on, I want to give, you know, the UK um, breed a little bit of support. And yeah. I think they deserve it. And so I've taken that stance. So this is my, this is the beginning of, uh, uh, of introducing everybody to artists that they, they've grown up with, but don't realize how strong they are and how strong their music is. Who were your musical heroes and inspirations? I had such a diverse I'm sure. sense of music. I mean, my goodness. Um, one of the first albums I bought in the mid-70s when I was living in America for a short while was My People Hold On by Eddie Kendricks. Yeah. And uh, the track Girl Need a Change of Mind was, you know, up until this day is, is you know, I would play and it sounds so fresh. And it was a club classic. And, uh, and it's, you know, and that was one of the main albums. But then... I remember going to see Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross, and I had no, I didn't know much about the Supremes, funnily enough. I knew about Diana Ross only because of Lady Sings the Blues. And so I went out to buy this her Billie Holiday album, yeah. and it wasn't in the shops. So I ended up buying The Lady in Satin by Billie Holiday. And I was not even in my yeah, early teens then. And then... The um, record shop owner said to me, well, if you're going to buy Lady in Satin, then you've got to buy Sarah Vaughan, then you've got to buy Ella Fitzgerald, then you've got to buy hmm. Duke Ellington, then you've got to get into count. I thought, oh, my God. So I started to listen, and it became my study in learning all of these musical great talents. And I was into my funk. I was into my soul. Uh, Aretha, all the divas, I loved all of the voices. Uh, Natalie Cole, I, I really loved her voice. She was she was like an all-round artist yeah, as a po- in, in, in the commercial field yeah. and also in the jazz and classic yeah. sense. So, and a lot of people don't realize the, the body of work that she did. But I was into one of the groups that I loved in from my early days was War. Um, and I know Eric Burden from The Animals introduced them to, on the scene. And War, when I saw them live, they were they were they, they just had everything. And it, it was like Lee Oscar on his harmonica and Papa Allen on drums, who later on played for Prince. War was just my group. You know, everyone loved Earth and Fire and that, but I was into War. And you know, me and Baby Brother slipping into darkness, Cisco Kid, Galaxy. So these groups really inspired me because they they were not only just a, 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 a instrumental group, but they were also harmonically vo- a vocal group too. And they used Latin, they used African beats, they used funk, they they had even electro with Galaxy. So, um, but I did like obviously the other ones like the Stylists and the Shy Lights and and and, Earth and Fires and all those kind of groups. Um, but I also there were some local groups in America that I was into, like Black Ivory. They had a, a track called You and I and Don't Turn Around. That they were very Eddie Kendricks kind of influenced yeah. and and then early Shy Lights like you know, Oh Girl and Have You Seen Her yeah. and, and and stuff like Great that. Great tracks. And, and, the Detroit Spinners, one of a kind, love affair. You know, I mean, I'm saying these names, and it's it's like they're all songs, they're all melodic. So it was really you remember the songs because you could sing each chorus. Yeah, I remember we uh, Imagination and I were doing one of our last albums in Los Angeles in the late '80s called Closer, 
and we worked with this producer called Preston Glass, and he produced Jermaine Stewart's We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off, and um, Who's Zooming Who for Aretha, who yeah. wrote, wrote those with the writer Michael Walden. And it was the first time we met him, and we just stuck like jam glue together because we were just sitting there singing songs after songs. I remember we got onto things like the Jackson 5 B-sides and album tracks. You know, that people, you know, said, do you remember this one? Da, 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 da. Two, four, six, eight, do, 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 do. We were kids when you know you yeah. heard these songs. But it's, that's how far you, you know, you'd listen to music as music all the way around. And, you know, from that to, say, the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour or, or Sgt. Pepper or something. But, you know, you, I kind of loved and always and still do, you know, the, the melodies of, of music. And I think in this period, especially with lockdown, people are now reintroducing themselves to the, you know, they're, they're getting remarried to these songs, the music of their, their youth, their time. I mean, people, I'm seeing a lot of people reintroduce themselves to imagination music. I'm getting loads of, you know, social media people are saying, oh, I just, you know, was on Spotify listening to your music and it takes me back and stuff like that. And it does the same to me with the music I listen to. Do you know what? I, I was a huge soul fan, big, big Luther fan and Anita Baker and people like that. And then my music tastes moved on and became more diverse. But again, in these last six months that I've not been in work nine till five, I've fallen back in love with soul music. Exactly. I mean, you know, I have, you know, I'm, I'm going to write my book, but it's going to be after <laughs> I finish the flashback thing. But Luther, one of the, the, I have many, many magic moments. And one of the magic moments was... Luther Vandross singing Just an Illusion to Me. Oh. You know, that was a classic moment. You know, you can't beat that. No. And I was, I, he, was, he was at the was he at the Dominion and there was a reception and I knew one of his backing singers and she just introduced me to him and she says, ah, oh, Silly John from Imagination. He was that group. And he started singing, you know, um, yeah. Illusion. Searching for our destiny. He started singing that. And I thought, oh my God, you know. I was like, wow, I was yeah. going, you know float to heaven, you know. Well, that's something to hold on to forever. Mm. And and prior to Imagination, you started out as a backing singer with the likes of the Delphonics and the chairman of the board. What an education, Lee. It was, it was, because I literally, I remember I came back from Germany, my first time going to Germany and touring, I had, a, before I went, I auditioned for this, as a, a session singer for this, this band. And then I got this gig for Germany, and I thought, oh my God, I'm, you know, what do I, which one do I take? And I remember my sister was very, she was involved in, in telling me, saying, well, you know, look, take Germany, because if they really want you, they'll wait for you. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I might have another job when I get back. And so I came back from Germany, and they were trying to find me for the last four or five weeks where I was away. They were still, they still wanted me. They said, where have you been? You know, we've got the telephonics coming over and then chairman of the board and da, 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 da. And, you know, they, you know, they need extra singers and we need you on it. And da, da. and that was it. I ended up touring all these American bases and with these wonderful American singers. And, you know, cause by this time, you know, most of the the, the, the the members had either broken up or whatever, so, you know, they'd need an extra harmony because they, they were always calling in someone to do the show, you know. So it was great. I, I It was a great learning ground, great education for me, singing all these songs and something I, never, I didn't even know. You could not ask for better. It was such a great education. For your next choice, a British jazz funk band who later split into Beggar and Co and the wonderful Incognito. Tell me about Light of the World and this particular track, London Town. 
Well, London Town is is a track that you know I can identify with because I'm from London. But greater than that, I know all of the guys. I knew when they split into all the different groups. We used to go clubbing together, you know, and I would support them. I'd go to all their gigs prior to Imagination, and all of these guys. It's amazing because Nat Augustine, who was in like the world, he was working with me with Victor Romero Evans, who's a reggae lovers rock singer. And we were all together in a group called Nat V. Lee, which was very short-lived. And uh, I remember Nat leaving my house to join Light of the World and tell me, you know, he's got the audition. Because he also played, uh, I think, trombone or brass or something. Yeah, trombone. And I knew Bluey and uh, uh, Bats and G. Bello. I still know the guy. I still know them now. I mean, they've got a new album out now, which is doing really well in the soul charts. So it's it was it was a... You know, a great period where we all supported each other. How did you, Ashley Ingram and Errol Kennedy, get together and become Imagination? I was still doing the sessions with a lot of these American groups and Ashley was playing bass or sometimes guitar in the actual band. And we became quite tight, being on the road and started to write songs together... And uh, I was working in about three different bands at the same time. So sometimes I'll drag him along and say, look, you know, some of the other bands I was in. For example, I was in a jazz funk group called Fizz. And I said, come on, Ashley, you know, you need to get him in there. And he would do this kind of pseudo George Benson sort of solos and blow everybody off their feet and stuff like that. And he was from Northampton and very much into the church. So I had all that gospel kind of influence. And I was very much into... Ashwin Simpson, especially at that time, I loved what they were doing. And uh, they had that, that disco funk sort of with gospel things. And he, he would, you know, he would uh, introduce me to a lot of that. Anyway, what happened was I'd taken a track, Got To Be Good, which was produced by Trevor Horn, to Morgan Kahn, who was running uh, R&B, the label at the time. And then later on went to organize and, uh, well, he created the Street Sounds label. And Morgan loved the track. And uh, sent it off to get American musicians put on it, and they lost the master. So in, it was going to be my first record, my real first record. I mean, I was signed when I was 14 uh, to EMI as a duo, but that's another story. But um, this particular track was so important to me, and they lost the master. So I decided to form a group because I thought, you know what? By this time, I'd met Tony Swain. He'd given me a piece of music. I took it home, and I wrote all the melody and the lyrics to Body Talk. They didn't know what it was going to be because they had tried and attempted to do something with this piece of music, but it never materialised. So I, I took this cassette home and uh, wrote the lyrics and melody to Body Talk, and I called Ashley, and I said, look, I've written something, and I want you to be on it. And then went into the studio, and we just rehearsed and rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed. I mean, Tony Swain, my producer, was there at the time. He didn't know what was going to happen, and Morgan didn't know what was going to happen, but they loved what we were doing. I remember them, even today, they were thinking, you know, are you going to record this? Are you going to record? Because we were just rehearsing. I said, no, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And they said, please, record it, because it's sounding great. So uh, we just did a few changes and a few, you know, bits, and uh, then we recorded it, and that was Body Talk. Later on, I decided, you know, 
let's kind of give it the, the image of like police where you have three three members in the group and if we needed to bring in session musicians and stuff we'd do that so we uh, had both auditioned to for Midnight Express which was the band Errol Kennedy was in and uh, we thought he was a great drummer and we, we brought him in he said he'd be great for the live situation Body Talk was already on, out on white label and everybody was thinking Imagination's from America this is an American sound it's really different because at the time everything was a BPM of 120 and 125 and, you know, you know, really up there. And Body Talk was very slow and sensuous mm -hmm. and very... It had that thriving bass sound to it. And then with the vocals on top of it, giving it that melody and, and, and haunting you in a sense. And it became one of the, the longest records that was in the charts in 1981. I think we went for 44 weeks, something like that. Those first few hits, starting off with Body Talk, uh, as you mentioned, were produced by Jolly and Swain, and their work with you, with, with Spandau, with Alice Moyer and plenty others, it really it defined the big production sound that the 80s became, didn't it? Well, it did, because where we recorded, everybody wanted to then go to the studio, and they all wanted the same sounds and stuff like that. And though we weren't, we weren't credited on, uh, as producers, I was very much involved in all my vocal arrangements and all the melodies and all the... I mean, I was credited for my, for my writing because I was a writer on all Imagination songs. But um, with Tony especially, he was very much... Very free. I had a lot of freedom in, in what we were going to do. For example, the intro to Flashback. You know, I wanted just the voice at the beginning because in those days it was just tape. How could we keep me in time without having any music in, in front of the, the, the song? Just cleverly done, you know, with, with the light chords coming in and strings. And, you know, because I was saying, I want to be, I want my voice at the beginning by myself, by myself, by myself, you know, and then coming with flashback, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it, there was a lot of, um, we didn't have creative differences per se, but, you know, there was always creative challenges that we we set ourselves and especially like our night dubbing album that was based on the fact when we went to um paradise garage we went to do some shows in paradise garage for larry levan who invited us over there in 1982 i think yeah 2283 and uh he had done this version of changes that lasted for 40 minutes and it was the original and then he somehow asked the record company if he could get some some um some backing tracks or something from it and he said look I want to do a dub of this you know so he showed us literally on the dance people were going crazy I mean it's like 45 minutes of just changes changes <laughs> it was wicked and so we took this back to the UK and you know the, the talk was look we need to do a dub album you know and it was one of the very first say British funk soul bands to do a dub album of any sort that you had I think the Thompson Twins did one, and I think um, Human, League, yeah. Human League, I think, did one as well. So it was very, for me, the, the whole of the 80s was very innovative. It was, you know, computers and sequences mm -hmm. and bass synths and the look, the sound. Big hair. Big hair, coloured <laughs> hair, makeup, shoulder pads, you know, um, wearing hardly anything. <laughs> you know, everyone, you know, from especially in London, everybody were tribes everybody had different looks yeah. um and what i took was from the club scene and from the streets and everything that was happening out there was out was was we took that onto stage and then made it more theatrical but it was a very very creative period and if it's not too much of a controversial question what 
brought imagination to an end? Did it just complete its course? Not really. With imagination, I've always kept it going in some form or the other. This, you know, I'm doing Lee John imagination yeah. shows. Uh, Errol left mid-80s. He'd fallen out with the management. And then Ashley left after our manager had actually passed away. He'd had an accident. And it was very, very hard to sustain. And I, I found I was carrying everything all the time. Mm. So, you know, he wasn't taking the responsibilities that we needed to keep this thing going. And so I just had to say to him, look, you know, you go off and do what you're doing. And he did very well with Desiree yeah. um, and some other projects that he did. And uh, is teaching now in, in the Far East music and, and, and uh, that scenario but it was in a scenario where I said, said well it's going to be harder for me and I kept saying to myself it's going to be harder for me because I've got to sustain but you guys can do this and the other and uh, I just went on and, and did so many diverse projects which I'm so happy about that I actually did so and I was always very conscious about the fan base I always wanted to make sure that you know what would happen to the fan base and I was the one that started the fan club and uh, just to keep everything going. And, and now a lot of them embrace me through social media. Now, your next choice, I'm really pleased to say, is from Imagination. Why in particular In and Out of Love? The second single is always the hardest one to break. <laughs> and um, I just felt I sounded so sophisticated in singing the... Ah! All those high notes and stuff. I just, I just loved the song. And in writing it, um, I was going through some emotional, emotional turmoils myself because our careers were just taking off and, you know, everything was here today, gone tomorrow, so much hurt, pain and sorrow. And you keep falling and falling and falling and, and the more things were happening. So the lyrics were becoming real life. And then when I sang the song, I just, and, I, and, and Orphie Robinson's vibes on it, were, which is why I wanted on it, was so beautiful. And it just had that flavor. And I wanted water for the video, and we managed to get uh, in the video water, if you, if you check the video. And at that time, uh, I wasn't a very good swimmer. And uh, I remember when they were filming us, I had to go into the water and out of the water and into the water in costumes. That's yeah. what they wanted. And then they wanted me to that. We had these um, underwater swimmers like Esther Williams. And right. I was sitting <laughs> on, the lily pad, on this lily pad. And the funniest thing is on the video when you see it, these ladies were really kind of plump. They were not really the sincere girls. They were kind of... And this is nothing against the big ladies out there. It was just that they were a little bit plump. And I'm sitting on this kind of a lily pad or some kind of thing, looking like Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> and was, and my, my, lip, my rouge was so red. They put all this red rouge on me. And it's, it's just so... I look prettier than they did. It was just hysterical. And I look at it, I laugh. And then I'm supposed to jump into the the water and go through their, their they do like a circle, their hoop. So you, And I went in and I wouldn't open my eyes. So I broke the whole thing. It was, a, it was like a comedy. And because uh, I, was, I was just afraid of deep water at yeah. the time. Now I swim like a fish. And I got, I got to thank uh, Errol Kennedy for that because we, after we did that video, we went into, went to Italy to Lake Guardia. He helped me overcome my fear because as a kid, I, I was great swimming as a kid. And then I jumped off, you know, the, the same, every, I think loads of kids have that situation. I jumped off this high board. I went into the pool first time, went on the second time and did not come back up. And someone had to, you know, so I had a phobia about going to the deep end of the water. Yeah. But well, now you can't get me out of the water. I love the sea. I love swimming. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to check out that video later. I'm going to look at it in a whole different way now. 
I know. And it was down at Heathrow Airport Hotel. It looks like we're in the Bahamas. And they had, it was, I remember because I love the show Widows. You remember Widows? Yeah. In the 80s? Yeah. Dolly Rawlins, yeah. you know, Harry Rawlins. I, that's one of my favorite old time series. And they filmed some episodes there. So I know it was the same place. Oh, I, you know, cheap budgets, cheap videos. We had so many fights about going on location and why can't we do it here and you know everyone went to the Bahamas or wherever when we did that Heathrow Airport Hotel Your next choice, Lee, is David Grant and Jackie Graham's brilliant interpretation of the Detroit Spinners Could It Be I'm Falling In Love Great song and, and two great British singers I love David Grant and I love Jackie. I'm always in contact now and then um, with David. In actual fact, David and his wife and I sang at the funeral of uh, DJ Paul Trouble Anderson's funeral um, not too long ago. So we, we, as I said, we all keep in contact. And his um, cousin used to own the record shop in Tottenham, in Tottenham, where, like the world, in actual fact, he used to rehearse. Right. So there's all this interconnection, and there was a club across the road called the Tottenham Royal, which we all used to go to. And then I remember going to see Lynx, his group Lynx, yeah, at, the Dominion, at the Dominion Theatre, and Junior Jiscom was uh, one of the had joined the band. Yeah. And Jackie, every time, Jackie's a sweetheart. Jackie's, I think she's got a new album out. She's she's done some great work and very underrated. But I love the work that she did with Derek Bramble, her producer. Set me free, I just, you know, that's why I mean we overlook, you know, uh, our, our people here. You know, they do some great work. From a Rose is a classic, you know. I mean, it was part of the uh, it was a thing, I think, think the Batman movie. And, um, you know, he, what can you say? He has such a unique style. His accolades for me are way, way, way high above. I mean, I just thought Kiss from a Rose represented one of the finest talents in the UK industry. Tell me about Return in the USA, which marked a kind of comeback into everyday spotlight for you. Uh, return, well, US was it? Was it Reborn in the USA? Right. That's it. Reborn in the USA was a lot of fun and a great challenge too because it was the early days of reality TV, but it wasn't supposed to be like reality TV. It was supposed to be like um, Spinal Tap. Yeah. They were trying to do Spinal <laughs> Tap with us on the road. Can you imagine? And um, it was it was the time. It was it was very very early days. They just I think done Big Brother. I think. Um, MTV kind of carried the flame more than Big Brother at that at that time, and everybody was worried about cameras here and cameras there. And I mean, I managed to have be, become great friends with some 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 great people. Elkie Brooks is a very underrated yes. singer from over here. She's fantastic. She's, she's become a very good friend. Anytime she comes to London, I always go and see Elkie. She's amazing. Her voice. I mean, as she's as she's grown older, her voice is, is is tremendous. It's even much better than when she first started in the industry, and she's got so much history. She has so much history. And Tony Hadley, 
Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're like great, great friends. I always go, every Christmas, he always invites us over to the pub in North London where, you know, there's a big drink up and, you know, it's, it gets messy. <laughs> it gets messy. It gets really messy. And Tony's great. It's a lot of fun. And, we, you know, we try and keep in contact. And um, the guys from Go West, I always see them. And... Um, who I did went whose wedding I went to, which was really great. But she, I think she lives in California. It's Gina G. Yeah, she's in California, and uh, very different to how you see her. She's she's, she's a very intelligent woman. Yeah, so it was a wonderful experience going to all these different cities that we hadn't been to. I lived in New York as a kid, but I hadn't been to New Orleans. I hadn't been to Cleveland, Ohio. I hadn't been to uh, Detroit. Uh, we went to the Motown Museum, and we we were in, we were literally in tears because we're such Motown addicts. I knew mm. every Motown song and all the you know all the acts and all the songs. Just to be there was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And then we went to Philadelphia, and we were singing t- with Gamble and Huff. Um, I think I sang Betcha by Golly Wow in Philadelphia, which was a privilege. What an experience for me to do that. So I've had some wonderful moments in my career. So the book will come after I finish the flashback film, definitely. Now, your next choice, Lee, uh, your seventh on this edition of Music Was My First Love, was produced by Ashley Ingram. Tell me about Desiree's You Gotta Be. Desiree is a unique talent. And, um, I mean, she got a Grammy for this song. For a while, it was a theme for Oprah. And it's a very uplifting song. I think it's even relevant. I mean, it was the 90s when I came out, and it's even more relevant now, what she lyrically wrote. And she has a kind of a Joni Mitchell, but soul sort of feel in how she, her approaches and her melodies and stuff. And we need more Desirees around Yeah, now. we do. We, we do. really do need that sort of, um, you know, just a very natural feel. Um, and, and just giving people more hope and inspiration as opposed to trying to be... You know, I see so many images, and I see which is great, and I see so many looks, but the content and the depth and the, or just a good love, sense of love, doesn't always come across. You know, Desiree, I think, ticked the boxes and all of that, and she did amazingly well. So um, you got to be had to be then, and my mate Ashley did a great job. What is the SOS Children's Village? SOS Children's Village is a charity I've been involved with since, oh my God, the early, early 21st century. I've been part of, and I'm sorry people, other people have been to, many different charity organizations. And you always want to know, where does the money go? Where does the hmm. money go? You know, like you're giving, you're giving, you do a show, and you, and you say, oh, this money's going, and you say, it could be a 500,000 pounds. Where does it go? So I was at an event um, in London, and uh, I just had a very bad experience with another charity where they found out it was fraudulent. And for years, money was coming from my account going to this charity. And they found out that it was fraudulent. And so I was very, very, and this was after Band-Aid and everything. So I was very uh, kind of suspicious about any charities at all. So um, I was at this event, and uh, which was divided between two different charities. And one of them was SOS Children. And they showed a film about SOS. And I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. And then I won a raffle. I couldn't really use the ticket. It didn't make any sense. I was just too busy. And it was a great holiday or something. So I put it back in the uh, raffle and said, raffle it again, you know, because they made me make some more money. And they, was, they were really impressed. So they said, well, you know, it would be lovely if you could become a patron for us because, you know, we love your sense of, of, of being. So I said, well, yeah, but I'd like to know more about the charity, but I'd like to also go and see where and what your charity does. 
you know, as opposed to just, you know, I challenged them, basically. Mm. And so they said, well, yeah, we have many different SOS children's villages around the world. Where would you like to go? And I said, well, I had wonderful experiences um, in South Africa. I was part of um, Operation Hunger. Yeah. I was helping them out in, in Soweto many years ago. So I said, I'd love to go back to South Africa. Um, I've had, you know wonderful experiences there so um they said okay but you have to raise money for your flight and your board and whatever your room and board and what have you and then we we will because it's a charity organization i said well no problem and i went further than that i decided ask british airways whether they would sponsor me which they did i asked a friend of mine who had a hotel down there to subsidize what we were doing and said yes so i got that sorted and i thought you know what to make sure that this is really real, I'm going to film this as well, this whole journey, so that I know that this is real. If it's not, then we've got to go on camera. <laughs> so I got a young uh, producer, director, camera guy to come down, and we filmed it. We went to Langa, we went to, to uh, this was in Cape Town, and we went to Thornton, where the village is, and we met all the children there. And at the same time, a friend of mine said, I'm always push, pushing myself on some level or the other. Why don't you take pictures of, of the environment down there and compile it? Maybe you can make it into a, a picture book or something, which I did, which you can go online and on my website, lejohn.com. And uh, for years, people have been ordering this book. I took pictures in South Africa of the kids and the graffiti that they, they have in the, in, the, in the towns. And it was very unique. Um, but I saw it through my eyes. And... Ever since then, I've been a patron. I've actually done a few different documentaries, which I've uh, produced. One in Zambia. I took my whole band out there, and we toured the whole country and also raised money. I've been to Côte d'Ivoire, um, Angola. I've been to uh, uh, Eritrea. I did another documentary in Tunisia just after the uh, shootings there because the kids there really feeling it badly so i did yeah and i did one i think was in france i think yes uh yeah i think it was one i'm france. telling so, you yeah <laughs> after a while i forget you know it's it's there's there's many things i've been doing and it's like i'm as time is going by and i'm doing a lot of things now i'm kind of going forward and so it's like you know all these little lights in the background that you, things you've done it's a uh, I've, I've come such a long way from where I was. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's just quite interesting. And, and you must be very proud of the humanitarian award that SOS won you in France. Yes, it was. Uh, it was quite a surprise. It was very much a surprise that I, you know, I actually got that uh, that award, which is downstairs. And uh, and actually, I think I got two that year. I think. And uh, it's it's nice to be appreciated, but I, you know, I don't do anything for awards or anything like that. I do it because I feel it, mm. and that's how my spirit is. I've always been. I get that from my mum because my mum's been working in the community in North London for oh my god, forty odd years, and uh, she's now in the nineties and she still works in that community. You know, she's mm -hmm. still involved very heavily, and so is my one of my best mates, Leroy Logan, who's now got his book out check that out and he was one of the first young black policemen in the 80s and actual fact he's at the ending of the just an illusion video as well he used to drive me around to all my gigs and then uh he uh, ended up uh, he was going to be a scientist and then went from science to becoming a policeman so and he's been very active he's got me involved with voyage youth which is another organization for the youth in in east london so i've kind of 
I just do my thing, you know, yeah. where I can help out. I just, you know, I just, you naturally gravitate to doing that, you know, just another outlet of what, you know, we are so blessed and lucky what we do with music. And it sometimes gives us these different outlets so that we can help others or, you know, even giving a few words of wisdom to somebody sometimes that that can inspire and help someone, you know. You've, you've mentioned through the interview uh, that you made several documentaries in recent years, taking you, as you mentioned, to Zambia, Tunisia, and also South Africa. But tell me in a bit more detail about the latest one, about Flashback. Well, Flashback, the history of UK-British black music, I've been doing for oof, most of the decade. And it started out originally with my co-producer who came from France. Um, oh, there's a dog in the background. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, uh, it was going to be about imagination. I stopped it halfway through when we were like three months or something. And I just said, no, this is, we've got to stop this. I said, there are so many people whose stories need to be told and they will never, ever be told. I can see it. And, you know, because I've been around quite a while and I know a lot of these people and I know producers, directors and people doing documentaries would not really know at hand whether you know, how to get hold of people or... They won't know the history. No. So, you know, and and I've got such a diverse uh, career and such a diverse sense of knowledge. I just thought, you know what? Let me try and let, let's just... Let's do it about black British music. So I just felt... Let's go back a bit. With Flashback, the history of UK black music, I wanted to make this an experience that everybody can be a part of. There's so many different artists who've contributed throughout so many decades. So we decided to go back to the turn of the century where we touch on the classical, classical musicians into the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s. The 80s obviously was enormous. There was so much diverse music of every sort. And even with imagination, we found once we broke through internationally, record companies started to take the risk and signed more artists because they thought homegrown artists are selling abroad. So this became very viable. And I was told this by executives myself. They said, well, you know, if we've done it with imagination, you don't have to sign an Americas before. It would always be the Americans, the Americans. But, you know, especially from 83, 45, you just saw a vast amount of record companies investing in British black talent. And so I wanted to go back to those times, but also bring it forward. And that's why it's taken so long. So I've also been investigating, you know, artists of today and, and the different musical trends that were happening and uh, the DJs and the pirate radio stations. And so we touch on a lot of things. So we're getting very close to completing it. And now with uh, streaming facilities, it just fits into what's happening right now. Will it be available online or will it be on TV? It will be, we're looking at um, it to be an, on an international level. So we're stretching it to Europe, America, Africa, and then here. Right. Where we're looking at on that sort of level. So it'll probably be on a, a streaming level, either like an Amazon or, or, or Netflix. We're still negotiating on that situation because everything's changing every minute. Yeah. Apple's now on board, interested. So, you know, we've got all that kind of situation. And then later on, you know, it could be on TV, but it's more like a six, seven, eight part series. We're just deciding because there's a lot of material. I've interviewed over a hundred artists wow. and it's over six, seven hundred hours or so. So there's a lot of stuff. 
And, it, you know, it's easy to edit it down. It's just making sure the story comes through. Yeah. So I've had to do a lot of investigation and also submerge myself, emerge, submerge myself with so much music. Something inside so strong for your next choice from Labby Sifri, a song and a message that I guess must be very important to you. Oh, wow. With Labby Sifri, something inside so strong. I interviewed him for the flashback film and it was one of the most endearing interviews that I've ever done. He had so many things to say. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you have to see the documentary. <laughs> but it was, it, he's one, he's very hard to get hold of to interview. And I didn't realize until I interviewed him that he was a great imagination fan. Right. And that's the only reason why he did it. Because initially, one of our assistants had approached him and said, oh, we're doing flashback, da 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 And he was like, oh, I don't care, I don't care. You know, I'm not interested, da da And then the next time they approached, he said, oh, well, um, Lee John, imaginationist, would like to interview you. And he says, oh, okay, yes. You know? <laughs> and then when he came, he said to me, oh, the only reason I'm here is because I'm such a big fan. And he's a very serious-minded guy. So he's like, you know, and he is very passionate, obviously, about his music and his lyrics and, and what he's done. He doesn't follow trends. He was just doing what he felt to the point where, you know, now you've got people like Eminem and Dr. Dre sampling yeah. his music. You know, you've got uh, um, Madness singing his yeah. songs, you know. Uh, even Kenny... Kenny Kenny Rogers, yeah, did one of his songs as well. Rod Stewart did one of his songs. Yeah. And he was that period in the 70s that, you know, there were kind of guitar-based sort of things, you know. And something inside So Strong is something right now we can all recognise recognize with those lyrics. Something inside So Strong And I know that I can make it Though you're doing me wrong So wrong John, there is something I have to ask you about very close to my heart. What was Enlightenment? <laughs> Enlightenment was a couple of episodes that I appeared in the very, very, very legendary TV, BBC TV series, Doctor Who. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I played a part of Mansell, um, which was... What was I? I was an eternal, not eternal of the group, but I was no. eternal, <laughs> an eternal that lived on forever. And was it your first main TV acting role? No, in actual fact. Maybe main, yes. But I, I, the, the, you know, I forget stuff. It's just really weird. But the week that we did Body Talk on Top of the Pops, the very next day, there was a television series called The Chinese Detective. Yes, I remember. And I was in an episode of that. And that was played the very next day after we had done Body Talk on TV. It was so ironic. But I've done, I've done other little acting bits here and there. Your ninth choice, Lee, is, well, it's a masterpiece, wouldn't you say? Love and Affection. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, we're talking about... When you talk about Joan Armour trading, you know, complete originality. She's always stuck to what she's all about. She's all about what she is all about, and uh, which is great as an artist. That keeps you... She's very unique in what she has done. And to last all these years, and... Um, you know, I think she, she even went into the country, is it country albums? I think, I think she did, yes. Yeah, in America, and, and I think got a Grammy for it, or Grammy nominated. Um, so she's very, very special, and yet again, very unique. And that's what I like to see, that uniqueness. Because nowadays, everybody kind of mixes themselves, and they all can sound the same with a remix, you know? You all can sound like Beyonce, you know? So after a while, it becomes very clinical. But, like, that's why, for example, when I'm doing the Acoustic Lee show, I want to show another side of 
what I can do musically because I do the jazz, I do soul, I do the funk, I do dance, I do hip hop. I've, I've done loads of different things, and I think that's where our heads should be. We should not, you know. I think sometimes, especially in the UK, they want to keep you in one particular genre. Yes, and they I, do. And I and I'm not about that. So I've always been a bit of a rebel. So you know, I think I fit very well with the BLM right now because I've always been very much prominent about you know taking strides and and, and standing up for yourself and um being recognized as an individual you know i think it's very very important and i always stress that on youngsters to be yourself be an individual and even if people are going to try and 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 and, and ridicule you or put you down just you know take that deep breath and hold your head up high and, and stand strong you know and some of these lyrics that a lot of some of these artists have provided us with for our for our, our timeline of life can help guide us you know there's one song on my on my uh, mobile which um i started putting it on i had it about maybe four or five years ago i put it on there and it's still there because it's so relevant and that ringtone is marvin Gaye's what's going on yeah and so it's just so much this is amazing how lyrics how melody how musicians you know we will channel through us you know like vessels and I think going back to Joanna Trading, she has that gift. And uh, love and affection, I think, says that all for us. Your tenth and final choice on Music Was My First Lovely is from 90s British R&B boy band Damage. Tell me about Love To You. Wow. Well, I thought I, I wanted to be a little bit up to date. Um, and I, I was going to add about 15 or 20 other songs. <laughs> so, and a friend of mine, Rachel, first introduced me to Damage because he was managing them. He's an actor, director, producer, writer. And then one of my best mates was actually promoting this track. And um, it's just a very good feel-good track. And it just brings us up to date with you know, what contemporary, you know, UK R&B was all about at the time when that particular track came out. And uh, it just, you know, it's like certain songs will put you back into that mood of a summer's day, you know, or mm. walking down the street and seeing someone you haven't seen for a long time. A good feeling. That's what we need, that good feeling. I think we're desperate for it at the minute, aren't we? Oh, totally. When you look back on a career that started in the 70s, what are you most proud of? That I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good answer. I think because I'm still here because there's so many people that have passed and that they're not here. And, you know, I'm just, I think, wow, I'm still here. You know, how have I survived? You know, as, as Gloria would say, you know. I, and and uh, another track, I ain't been licked, I'm right here, you know. <laughs> so it's it's just surviving in, in an industry that, you know, people, you can get addicted to drugs, you can get addicted to different things, psychologically you can get screwed up. You know, there's so many different things. And I was very lucky from the get-go, I had friends that were very grounding. As I said earlier in the interview, I was signed to EMI when I was 14 as a duo. And I thought, wow, we're going to be like the Jacksons, you know, it was two of us, the Jackson too, you know. 
And I thought, wow, it's going to happen. And, you know, it, we had Roy Fisher, who was managing Spiders of Mars, because uh, David Bowie just broke up with Spiders of Mars. And they invested all this money in the Spiders of Mars, because they thought they're really going to make it. And, and then they wanted to have a, a, a different type of group on the label. So they found us and signed us. And I thought, wow, and we had Gonzalez, the big session group at the time, who had a hit with Haven't Stopped Dancing. They did all the music. We had Thunder Thighs, who were backing vocalists. They sang on Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. A great name. And yeah, Thunder Thighs. <laughs> we had um, produced by Del Newman, who worked with Paul McCartney and Diana Ross. And so, you know, we were still at school. And I had all this, you know, and I thought, wow. And then it didn't happen. And I thought, you know what, you're not good enough. You've got to learn more. So I ended up doing all the clubs and working man's clubs and bingo halls and pubs. And, and it was fantastic. I was a singing waiter. I did all sorts of amazing things that grounded me and helped me build what you see today. And even the fact that I, I remember the bingo halls would have like 2,000 people in them. Yeah. You know? So it was like I was a star in the bingo hall. It was great, you know, way before imagination. So by the time we, we, we broke with, uh, with the first Hit Body Talk, it became about the work because it increased so much, you know. And my life now hasn't even stopped because I've got so much work going on now. And uh, it's, it is about the, the work. And if you enjoy doing it and love what you're doing, then I think that's where your focus is you know that's what you know that's what keeps us young i think if you're really into the work and finding different outlets if it's not there let's find something else that we creatively can do you know right now i've got this track which is in the chart with t love horizon which yep. is doing really really well and which we're playing on radio glamorgan fantastic thank you i'm really pleased about that i can now say it i'm i've got a track coming out with uh, damon alban from the gorillas Right. The, lost, the Lost Chord, that's mm -hmm. uh, in October with the album. That's uh, just got great reviews in Rolling Stone. I've also done a track with Jorge Vasilo. It's actually George Vasilo. He's from Brazil, and he's doing his video. as we, oh, They're sending me his bit of the video and my video together for a track that uh, I wrote called Solitude. He's singing it in Portuguese, and I'm in English. I've also done a track, with, uh, which is a really good track, with Plastic Bertrand. Oh, and it's, and it's called Sam Don't, yeah, That's right. It's called Don't Stop. And um, unfortunately, I have to go to Belgium to do a video, but because of all the rules and regulations of what's happening now, it can't be done, so they can't put it out yet. So his his first track, which is really cool, is is coming out now. And then after that, we're going to try and put Don't Stop out. So it's busy. And I've just oh yes, the, <laughs> in the lockdown period, um, I've finished a long-awaited album, which I'd started ages ago with Bill Sharp of Shack Attack. The Lee John Bouchard project, a smooth jazz album, which is going to be out next year. As we chat in October 2020, you've also had a new album, Retropia. Retropia, you can get online, you can download it. There's some great tracks on there. On it, I've got Blue from Incognito playing guitar. I've got Steve Nichol from Loose Ends, we've written some tracks together. Um, I've got a duo with Mike Lindup from Level from 42. 42. Yeah, yeah we, did, we did a version of Visions. And I've done my own version of Highway to Hell. On there. And and there's also a version on there of a real anthem that I guess is still relevant today, and that's Police and Thieves. That's right. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was number one in the reggae charts for me. And I've used that as an anthem and also did a small documentary for the community, for the elders in the community, especially in North London, where I come from. I thought it was very relevant to find out because there was a lot of, obviously, this knife crime going around. 
and we needed to we, we need to hear the, from the voice of the youth, but also we needed the elders to be saying something positive about where they came from, where their background, because there's been this whole communication gap. So I took it upon myself to do this documentary using as the backdrop Police and Thieves. Lee John, it's been a, a real thrill having on Radio Glamorgan's music was my first love. Thank you very, Thank very you. much. Thank you very, very much too. So more than you know. You've been listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Lee John has been choosing ten of his favourite tracks. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and please join me again very soon when another guest chooses ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. Music was my first love